to the top of the podcast. I ruined it. I ruined it. <laughs> you tried to jump in at the same time. I t- do you want Nate? Do you? I'm so sorry. I should have asked. Do you want to do it? No, God no! I was just making sure everything was okay. Do you want? Do you want to host the show now? Do you want to be like number one, and I'll I'll no. be the backseater? No, God no! I want to go right. back to where life was easy. Well, act like it. <laughs> <laughs> welcome back to the Cock and Bull Podcast, or if it is your first time listening, welcome to the Cock and Bull Podcast. Don't worry, this is everything that you need to know. Nathan and I go through some stories about the world's bastard men at large. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, Nathan, today's story. Yes. Today's story starts January 6th, 1822. Uh-oh. 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 Okay. Whew. Thought you were about to say 2021 or wherever that, <laughs> whenever they did the, the, the whole fascist thing. And I was like, oh, we've turned into a different kind of show, haven't we? Johann Ludwig Heinrich Julius Schleiman. Too many names, none of which sound good. Was born in Gary, Indiana. Wait, fuck! No, he wasn't. I'm no, kidding. He absolutely I'm kidding. Wasn't. He, he was. He was born in Germany. That, of course, don't you start off with lies? This, what is this? What, this is a game now where I have to. I have to detect the lie. Yeah, I'm trying to see if you're paying attention. In fact, he was born in the most German-sounding place imaginable, Nubakau, Mecklenburg-Schwerin. Holy shit, that sounds like somewhere on the Death Star. <laughs> he's, he's, he's not only got five names, which is too many. Um, the place he's from seems to have, that's three different names, and I can't, there's a comma and a hyphen in there. I can't tell where, like, the sta- they have states, right? Germany had states at that time? Sure. They must have, I imagine. <laughs> you, Spencer, here's the thing I've learned in my old age is I don't know anything at all. I'm so stupid. Um, It is a state. Mecklenburg is a state. We did it. We've we done it. it. We have figured out the confederation of ways the German state has made up. I feel good. You can catch us every Wednesday. Uh, our theme song is by Dripple. <laughs> no. Mission accomplished. Heinrich was the son of a Lutheran minister. And son of he a had preacher, six- man. Is what you're telling me. He was the son of a preacher. <laughs> yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Son of a preacher, man. And he had six other siblings. Our late grandmother is up there shaking her head at those numbers, I'm sure. Uh, but those are rookie numbers. Pump them up. Come on. For the 1800s, six other siblings. I can forgive if, like, several of them died and you're left with six. Uh, that, uh, but shit, honestly, you're not even trying. Maybe I was about to say, we, are, can we confirm that that's not the case? Maybe the numbers were much better. They just had bad luck. With, like, uh, the barbarians. You know we're going to find out together. We're going to find out together. The first half of this I wrote a long time ago. The other half I finished recently. So it's like, I'm also relearning this shit with you. Um, <laughs> this is an interactive learning adventure. We're going with a new style in our push to 100. His father was described as a poor minister. And regardless of whether that's the quality of his ministering or he's just a cash poor man, um, he had a difficult time raising all six of them by himself uh, when Heinrich's mother passed away in 1831. Again, Grandma is rolling her eyes up there. Try doing like I, eight kids by yourself. I was about to say, where? where? <laughs> oh, you want? Yeah, boo-hoo. Heinrich, in spite of his troubled upbringing, was a studious kid. He was fortunate enough to enroll in the local gymnasium, which we've established on this show is just what they called school back then. <laughs> <laughs> because it's silly. And he took a keen interest in history. As you do. As you do. 
He was especially fond of stories such as the Iliad and the Odyssey, a collection of legends from the ancient world. And mm. okay, okay, as long as we were going to like that. Well, I, I just got a little concerned when they said he loved history and they said the Iliad and the Odyssey. And I'm like, those are those they're Cyclops and those. So not the same thing. <laughs> what do you mean? There's not that's not a textbook. That's well, see, I was see, I was concerned that our poor German. That man, wasn't by Dr. Homer. <laughs> you can forgive me that some of these people go a little. Spencer, we talk about some pretty deranged humans on this show. It wouldn't have been a leap to get to where I went. And at the age of seven, 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 he had his mind set. He knew what he wanted to do. He would be the man to finally excavate the mythical city of Troy. Okay, so just for some context, and I feel like it is important here, I am the father of a seven-year-old, and he wants to be best friends with Mario. So I don't know if that's really an age where I should be putting a lot of stock in what they want to do. <laughs> well, Nathan, he wants to be the man. that. So at least he's, a, he's acknowledging he won't be the Doogie Howser of archaeology. He's going to he's going to wait a, a few decades. Uh, Got to put the time in. Pop quiz, Nathan. Troy, the ancient city of Troy. Real place? Uh, no. Yes, maybe. He's covered all his bases, folks. <laughs> I played for both teams. He said every option. Well, Nathan, in the 1820s, the world really wasn't sure if such a place actually existed. Can we blame them? No, of course not. Of course not. It's a hard thing to know about. I've never been there. Empires fall, you know. Things, have, things get buried in dust and eventually you're like, shit, I don't know. Was Rome real? I don't fucking know. I have the internet and I still get confused. It's true. Both Troy and the Trojan War were, for a large part, nothing more than legends to most scholars. That is a, a gross oversimplification, actually. Um, there was a lot of conjecture on Troy, similar to, say, biblical figures. Did a guy named Jesus actually exist? Uh, I think you can find a lot of overlap, a strong number of people that would say, yeah, probably, on either side of the spiritual fence. So, there was a general consensus that a city named Troy almost certainly existed, but it's incredibly unclear where it actually was. And there was conjecture about it's on the Mediterranean coast, or maybe it's in modern-day Turkey. Maybe it was actually like seven or eight cities collectively called Troy. <laughs> um <laughs> Maybe it was a it was a musical collective. We don't really know. <laughs> what was even more dubious was this big mythical tale of the Trojan War, which up to this point could only be verified by an oral tradition full of actual godly intervention. So not yeah, exactly see, like a bulletproof nonfiction archive. No, and and to be fair, the only thing I know about the Trojan War definitively is that there was a big wooden horse, and to be fair, that sounds apocryphal as fuck. So, like, I'm, it's still one of those ones that, like, I put it up there with the Iliad and the Odyssey. I'm like, they, they did they? They could have happened, or it could have been a fun story. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. On on the one hand, it is very easy to point at the past and go, oh, they're so dumb. They fell for a big, they probably fell for like a big horse full of dudes. But also, like, 
That could have happened. Someone on Twitter today said the sun changed colors sometime in the last 20 years or so, Spencer. I've lost faith. I don't believe we know things anymore. Well, I mean, it gets very bright and white during the, the, the morning, and then it gets very dark orange in the evening. So, like, maybe they're onto some shit. Oh, not you two. I think Twitter is uh, an institution that deserves to still exist. Heinrich here, little Heinrich, seven-year-old Heinrich, more or less told his dad, I'm going to go find Atlantis, or I'm going to find the Garden of Eden, which little did he know was in St. Joseph, Missouri. (laughs) Speaking of, it wouldn't have been that unusual to hear from an archaeologist in that day. I mean, the Garden of Eden, like it kind of paints a picture of where we were at in the beginnings of archaeology. The mid-18th century was the beginning of the Enlightenment, the new classical era. So just around the time that all the educated and upper-class folk throughout the West start thinking for thinking's sake, that's sort of like the birth of archaeology as we know it. There was an obsession brewing with Rome, with Greece, and the Middle East's biblical locations. It was also a byproduct of imperialism, which opened up new and exciting corners of the globe for rich tourists who thought they had a right to own everything, especially in and around the graves of natives. Oh, yeah, no, that 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 generally tracks. And that new wave classical trend is the reason every building in D.C. has columns, just in case you weren't aware. (laughs) We're going to be the new Rome. How do we do that? I don't know. Fucking make the buildings white. I mean, to be fair, they have figured it out. It took some trial and error. They have got it down. Make the buildings white, and like, I don't know, in 300 years, it'll all catch fire. Uh, So Heinrich had to go live with his uncle after his father started struggling with his many, many kids and his poor, poor ministry. Heinrich's education was, uh, was cut short after just five years as his father had been accused of embezzling church funds. Oh, no! So I'm starting to think he actually was just a very poor minister. I was about to say, when we say it, I mean, the one the one leads to the other. If he was a poor minister, he might start stealing, and that would make him a poor minister. And words are fun and ambiguous. He suddenly couldn't afford to send Heinrich to gymnasium anymore. To be fair, if your goal is to find Narnia, how much schooling do you need? <laughs> On the road to finding Troy, one might consider this a setback. He couldn't afford to continue a formal education, he had no connections, and he had no experience in archaeology to carry his dream forward. After forcibly dropping out of school, he became an apprentice to a grocer. (laughs) Well, that's, I mean, every every great archaeologist starts there. You learn (laughs) learn about the produce section, and then you work your way up. I think that was Indiana Jones' origin story, right? They covered that in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, to be a professor, you first drop out of school in the fifth grade and then go work at the grocery store. Indy, give me those beans. <laughs> he, find, he finds the map to, I don't know, Christ's tomb. Uh, <laughs> there he labored for five years before fate struck him another fatal blow. Oh, yeah, he got to get it, get it. I thought fate was going to turn for him. And now he gets another setback. Jesus. After a barrel lifting incident, he sustained a chest injury Whoa. and began regularly coughing up blood. What? Hold on. Hang about it. He had the sunken in chest thing like Steven Crowder. And he got it from what could amount to a Donkey Kong incident. <laughs> I was just about to say he got Steven Crowdered by going and throwing barrels at <laughs> <and> Jumpman. <laughs> And uh, by the way, he's 19. <laughs> so this, Jesus Christ. Not this is well. 
This is apparently either debilitating enough that he cannot continue his grocery apprenticeship or or he realizes that grocery work is a young man's game and he retires. Either way, he's out of a job. Trying to figure out what to do next, Heinrich found himself thinking back on a very impactful encounter that he'd had with one of those grocery store customers. He couldn't stop thinking about the day a drunken miller had come into the store and recited the Odyssey to him in its original Greek. What? Hold the fuck on. Excuse me? One, what's a miller? I don't know what a miller is. Don't (laughs) pretend I know what a miller is. I think he grinds corn or some shit. That's like he works at the mill and he like kind of pushes the the will. He pushes it around in a big circle and he grinds it to dust. I think that's what a miller is. Why does that man know the Odyssey in its original Greek? And why is he why is he reciting it to our homeboy? Well, because he's drunk. He is. It's clear to he's a drunken miller and he's an eccentric drunken miller. And uh, I Nathan, you worked in retail. Tell me that there is not like a guy that kind of fits that vibe. He's like, all right, this guy's forced to stand here. No, you're you're right. I think I think all of our uh, our lady compatriots can sympathize with the guy who knows that you're trapped at the checkout counter. So he's going to hit on you there. This is yeah. the, this is, I guess, what happens to everyone else on the gender spectrum. <laughs> oh, Young man, <laughs> I would like you to hear an oratory for the next eight hours. Heinrich signed on uh, as a cabin boy on a ship bound from Hamburg to Venezuela. <laughs> okay, um, uh, you're trying if, to if find Troy, Troy is a real place, I have to imagine he's heading in the wrong direction. But every dream say, starts somewhere. It just seems like going exactly the opposite fuck way the fuck in the wrong direction. Thing is, though, this boat never made it out of the Atlantic. Uh, it didn't even get out of Europe. Uh-oh. It, it wrecked off the Dutch coast in a storm. Oh, no. So Heinrich is thrown to the shore, 19 years old, sunken chest. Coughing up blood. Still coughing up blood. He washes ashore and he settles in as an office boy and then a bookkeeper for a trading firm in Amsterdam. Wait, 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 he just goes wait, to wait, find work. Wait, that's so I was about to say, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like, oh my God, my boat crap. Well, I mean, where's the temp agency? I, I live here now. This is life. <laughs> fuck it. Venezuela, whatever. Troy, man. He must, it must have been day one, so workman's comp wasn't going to get him the boat home. <laughs> <laughs> Just wrung out his fucking resume and said, next. <laughs> get on indeed. Let's go. It was here in Amsterdam that his penchant for foreign languages flourished. By the age of 25, some accounts say that he was fluent in Russian as well as ancient and modern Greek. Uh, But that's just all I know from the young age, because by the end of this guy's life, he knew English, French, Dutch, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, Swedish, Polish, Latin, and Arabic. All right, Rosetta Stone, who are you trying to impress at this point? That's a kink at that point. That is a fetish. There is no more use for that. The answer is everyone is who Heinrich Schleiman is trying to impress. Uh, (laughs) You're going to figure that one out quick and in a hurry. Okay, okay. Schleiman claimed that he could learn a language in as little as six weeks. I mean, the Duolingo bird tells me I, I can talk good if I if I just let it pester me for a while. So, yeah, I mean, it tracks. <laughs> After his firm had sent him to St. Petersburg in 1846, he turned around and started his own indigo shipping company, which is kind of a fuck you to the company that sent you there, I guess. But <laughs> hey, thank you for setting me up. Fuck you. I'm not, I'm not like, you know, simping for shipping companies of any kind, but that seems a little rude to me. 
I, it's just the balls. I just, it takes some. Dear Mr. Boss, <laughs> I am writing to inform you that I have arrived in St. Petersburg. Signed, Heinrich, CEO of Schleiman Indigo Company. <laughs> P.S. I quit. I'm the boss now. His entrepreneurial ventures were massively supported by his babblefish abilities, and so he was apparently well on his way to just a giant fortune. In 1850, however, he received terrible news. Yet again. Oh, it does not stop. Wait, wait, okay, what more can life take from this man? Who even knows where he is? Like, what is going, okay, what, what fate has struck him now? His brother Ludwig had died an untimely death. Hundreds, isn't that just like, uh oh? Well, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> but not before he had moved to America and become a successful gold magnate. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Sensing a Ludwig sized hole in the market, a grieving Heinrich found solace taking on his brother's fortune. Did he like uh, take on his identity or something? <laughs> he, he, he went to California, uh, claimed it as inheritance. Uh, and in 1851, he starts a bank in Sacramento. Oh. And I don't have a... I, I have no fucking clue how this part works, but he just amasses money by buying and reselling millions of dollars worth of gold dust. Honestly, if you told me that's how it works, I work in a financial industry, <laughs> and if you told me that's how it works now, I'd be like, yeah, probably. <laughs> and that is that is six months. Six months to accrue millions of dollars worth of gold dust. Uh, and I don't know how that would work if you were doing it legitimately or legally, but apparently he wasn't because the feds <laughs> started poking around his bank for shorting his buyers and lying about how much gold he was selling them. I mean, that's just good banking practice at that point. <laughs> Schleiman cooperated with the investigation uh, by leaving town. <laughs> Uh, bye. Simultaneously claiming that he was. I every language. I can go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> he not only left town, he left town and claimed that he was deathly ill, so don't bother looking for him. <laughs> I, I'm a, I left town. Also, I died. Don't come looking for me. P.S. <laughs> don't try to find me. <coughs> Attached is my blood. <laughs> <laughs> I have TB. <laughs> Heinrich spent the next year traveling to the East Coast and lying about things he hadn't actually done. <laughs> as is a, I mean, honestly, that might as well just be the, the slogan for every cock and bull man ever. <laughs> just lying about things they haven't done. Heinrich would try and elevate his social standing by buying local newspapers, traveling a good distance away, and then telling the top stories as though he had witnessed them. What? Uh -huh. <laughs> he would how wait, how much money did this man inherit? He like started like oops, like Matt Damon. Uh, we bought a bank, and then just was like buying newspapers <laughs> on a whim on his way across on his wacky cross country adventure. What the hell is happening here? Hang on, our newspapers a luxury purchase that I wasn't. Oh, he was buying. <laughs> Were these made on papyrus? Okay, oh right. When you said he would buy a local newspaper, I thought oh, you, you meant thought he like. <laughs> Bought the Kansas City Star, and he's like, "I own this now." I no, am the no, 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 no. Fuck you, it's, William Randolph. It's more lame than that. It is so much more lame than that. He's buying a copy of a newspaper, going two towns over, and then reading the top, like memorizing the top story, and then telling people as though he had experienced it. Oh no! That oh, that's yeah. even said. 
that's just modern day internet culture. That's just I read a thing and I'm going to tweet it out with and, and now I sound like a smart person. You made this, I made this. That's all that is. With his bold new life hack, he not only witnessed the great San Francisco fire of 1851, but he even had dinner with President Millard Fillmore. <laughs> Most popular guy in President town over here. <laughs> Millard Fillmore, a guy that we could definitely say anything definitive about. What political party was he part of? I bet you know. <laughs> this is true even of the time. This is this could be a bit from 1851. I, I don't know. I know nothing about Millard Fillmore. He is a literal fugue state of a man. America's most unremarkable miasma. <laughs> after, How did after you manage to years. be the leader of the... You led the free world and you are a nothing. How did you how did you fail this miserably? After a few years he he grew tired of American journalists plagiarizing his life and then calling him out for it. Uh so he he moved to Russia. <laughs> As you do in 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 what year now? What 1850 something? This would be yeah, like 1851 or 52. Okay, okay. So nothing nothing's getting so things are getting dicey in Russia. All right, but I mean, we know where we're at. All right. Oh, they are. They are. Oh. There he aspired He aspired to actually live the life of a gentleman, and to great success. He met his wife in 1852, and he became an arms dealer during the Crimean War. Whoa, okay, very interesting. Uh, just to put a pin in it, Millard Fillmore was a member of the Know Nothing Party. Fun times. Uh, I know nothing about yeah. him, so that tracks. It does. It really seems on par. Also, why did he become an arms dealer? Well, Heinrich had cornered the market in saltpeter, sulfur, and lead, all of which he resold to the Russian government in the form of munitions. How did he uh, corner the market in three highly valuable minerals in Russia in the 1850s? And in like, in like less than a year, too. This He could have done this on a weekend, as far as I know. <laughs> I, I, I wish I had answers for that. I wish I knew how the fuck he did that. Like, he had a background as a trading company, so like he took all of his fuck you gold money that he ran away from the feds with and i'm assuming he used that <laughs> oh man it was and he reads a lot of newspapers nathan he reads a lot of newspapers so he probably <laughs> like he saw this new trend of of gunpowder i guess coming around i don't know i i'm just so baffled at a time when you could just and i guess it still happens now but just to be able to show up in a place and just say in a matter of moments this is all mine now goodbye it, the um I, oh also before we get past it um the Crimean War just for a little little mini contact it was fought between the Russians the French the British and the Ottomans uh there was a little peppering of Sardinians in there too uh you know they're always like the nice spice of history <laughs> had something to do with Orthodox subjects of the Ottoman Empire and some kind of like Orthodox Catholic dispute in Palestine anyway that vague premise leads to half a million dead people. I love how that vague premise also somehow involves the Russians. Well, the, aren't they like a big seat of orthodoxy? Isn't that? Well, I mean, they're the head the, of the Orthodox they got, like, Church. The Dome okay, churches okay. or whatever. No, no, I mean, yeah, I think it's the head of the Eastern Orthodox Church for sure. Um, okay, things I didn't know about the Crimean War. I am so fucking. Why are you determined to just reinforce how fucking stupid I am with this show? <laughs> Don't worry, Nathan. We're gonna get to some like very basic still relevant principle of modern life that I'm going to grossly misunderstand. Like I'm going to say like 401k, you can retire on that. <laughs> um, 
So don't worry, Nathan, we'll balance out. We'll balance, we'll balance out. out. By 1858, the war was two years behind him, and a 36-year-old Heinrich Schleiman was wealthy enough to retire. I'm to think, that old! It's not and Nathan, unfair. you haven't cornered any markets. How does that make you feel? Salt Peter markets, and I certainly cannot retire. I don't like that this frail little cave-chested man was just able to kind of <laughs> willy-nill his way through life, inherited some ill-gotten gold money, and now is going to retire <laughs> on blood money. It doesn't seem right. Because to think, this is a whole 17 years after his debilitating barrel-lifting injury and a deathly illness in Sacramento. He's a survivor. Also, he wanted to he wanted to find Troy. Why go earn an honest living and find Troy? What what are you arms dealing? Well, what Nathan, what Nathan, what do you do when you're 36 years old and you have all that fucking money? What is one man supposed to do? Uh, I have a feeling it's going to go find Troy, isn't it? That is exactly what you do. You chase your childhood dreams of unearthing an ancient city. <laughs> so by 1868, we're going to flash forward another 10 years here. So he's up to 46 now. Heinrich is a decade into trying to turn himself from gentleman, liar, wealth extraordinaire to an archaeologist. He is in Pinarbashi, a Turkish city about five miles from the eastern coast of the agency. At the time, it was the most widely accepted hypothesis as to Troy's possible location. There, he performed a test dig and was disappointed uh by the lack of results. Oh, what's what's a test dig? Like you pretend you're going to dig. How do you pretend to dig? You either dig or you don't dig. I could be wrong on this, but I believe the test dig is where they take a very, very narrow chunk of land, like an extremely skinny. I'm talking like drilling for oil type skinny. Okay. And you take a cross section out of the earth and you try and go like, I, God, I don't fucking know, 20 feet deep or something. And if you don't, I guess if you don't pull out like a gold coin, you're like, it's hopeless. That's and you what move I'm on. Like, it, it seems like <laughs> such a narrow scope to be like, oh, well, there can be nothing here. We have found I, destitution. I think, <laughs> I think it's when you do a really narrow scope. And if you don't pull any artifacts or anything of intrigue, you just kind of like fucking give up and move on. Oh. Um, but if you find something, you widen that scope way, way out. Would make sense. Uh, so he does his test dig. He doesn't find anything. And he's not wholly deterred. It took the intervention of an English expat named Frank Calvert to convince Heinrich that the ruins of Troy weren't beneath Pinarbashi, but rather another Turkish city named Hisarlik. This persuasion was, of course, beneficial to Calvert, who was looking to take advantage of Heinrich's bottomless budget to further <laughs> his own theories. Oh, God. Our well he sees a rich guy pull up and he's like, you know what would be a great idea is that thing I believe in. Every good con man has one of these guys with them. So Schleiman and Calvert partner up to dig at Hisarlik, believing that the Troy of Homer's tales would lie at the bottom of the man-made mound. Heinrich spent two years using dynamite to blast a trench through the mound from top to bottom, or at least as far as he could plunge. Previous test digs had made it roughly 30 meters down into the mound and uncovered fresco-laden walls of ancient homes and even painted pottery. But when Schleiman started blasting, he wasn't looking for that namby-pamby shit. He wanted swords, he wanted gold, and he wanted Helen herself. Wife number three. Just stick an IV in her and rehydrate. Jesus Christ. He's ambitious, is the point. He's very ambitious. And he actually did 
find treasure. Oh. A lot of treasure. Jewels, bronze weaponry, gold coins, like everything you would find under a big red X on a crusty old map. It is more success than you would hope for a guy who is blowing apart an archaeological dig site with dynamite, but (laughs) that's actually not enough for him is the thing. Oh, God. Because whether it's his penchant for lying or some kind of massive delusion of grandeur, he starts weaving these Sherlock-esque observations about each artifact. So he finds some jewels. Well, those are obviously from Helen's personal collection. He finds a sword. (laughs) It's obviously King Priam's own sword. (laughs) At least it's not Achilles. (laughs) Yeah, right. Priam would have been the last Trojan king of that legendary period captured in the Odyssey. He would have been the father of Paris, Hector, and Cassandra, uh, most notably. And and Heinrich's hordes of treasure have been dubiously lumped together into a single horde that he called Priam's treasures. Despite there being no strong evidence that each of these many, many treasures were collected from a singular cache, let alone from King Priam. Rather, it's more likely that Heinrich was obsessed with capturing evidence of the Troy that Homer depicted, no matter what kind of leaps of logic were required. Schleiman described one great moment of discovery, which supposedly occurred on or about May 27, 1873, in his typically colorful, if unreliable, manner. In excavating this wall further and directly by the side of the palace of King Priam, I came upon a large copper article of the most remarkable form, which attracted my attention all the more as I thought I saw gold behind it. In order to withdraw the treasure from the greed of my workmen, I had to save it for archaeology. For archaeology! (laughs) If that's not this guy's catchphrase. I was about to... Excelsior! Uh, He calls lunch break. Yeah, I don't know the Greek word for this. While the men were eating and resting, I cut out the treasure with a large knife. It would, however, have been impossible for me to have removed the treasure without the help of my dear wife, who stood by me, ready to pack the things which I cut into her shawl and whisk them away. Oh, God! <laughs> what the hell? What, the, what is going on here? Why is he having to, like, steal his artifacts in the night? In the name of archaeology, in Nathan. In the archaeology, do you think they're... Oh, my God. I think I know why, and we'll we'll get to it in a moment, but Schleiman's oft-repeated story of the treasure being carried away by his wife in her shawl uh, was untrue, because Schleiman (laughs) later admitted to making it up, uh, saying that at the time of the discovery, Sophie was, like, in Athens with her family, having having girl time. Um, I was about to say, what are the odds that she's just, like, at the dig site, like, hi, honey, you need some help with some squirreling away artifacts? Now, while he may not have smuggled them out of the site under his wife's shawl, he did steal them from the Ottoman government, who had sanctioned the dig on the basis that any artifacts would be handed over for safekeeping. I mean, it kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense that they're not like, hey, you just blast your way through and steal shit out of our ground. That's cool. Seems like there would be some sort of like, so instead of like having to steal them from his you know, money grubbing workers, like having to protect them from them. It's like, no, they probably just wanted to give them to the rightful owner, you dick bag. There was even a government appointed guard watching over the dig who, when he failed to catch Heinrich absconding with all the treasure, was given a prison sentence. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, can you blame though? Like, hey, dig up the like, most culturally significant parts of our history, like, like a white, like generationally altering you know, artifacts that could change the way you tell stories about our ancestry. Uh, and you let him get away with them in a big bag with a dollar <laughs> sign on them, like a Scooby-Doo villain. 
You're not going to be white about this, right? Right? <laughs> okay. No, we trust you. We trust you, but just in case, this guy's going to watch. The Ottomans revoked Heinrich's permission to dig at Hisarlik and sued him for the gold that he'd stolen, but they reached a compromise when he offered to give them some of the treasure what? in exchange for letting him come back and dig some more. Wait a minute. So their initial offer is, give us the stuff you stole and you can't dig. And he's like, what if, compromise, <laughs> I give you some of the stuff I stole and I can keep digging. And they're like, ah, oh, whatever. For, you scam. For some fucking reason, yeah, they agreed. That's not a counteroffer. That's just an entirely different agreement. You know, I'm thinking they just knew they could not get that that uh that that sue that lawsuit to actually get any gold back for them. I think they knew he would just change his address and never talk to him again. So <laughs> I mean, this man, this is a man that shipwrecked up in Amsterdam was just like, fuck it, I live here now. He has no fucks to give. He'll do it. He'll do whatever. He's a survivor. He has moved to other countries for less. Yeah, for um, less. After the after the Ottomans got a portion of the treasure housed in a museum in Istanbul. Berlin would eventually take the remainder in 1881 to house in its own gallery. Why? I Because that's where he lived, I guess. Uh, I think that's where, like, some of it, he gifted it to, like, when he died, I guess he gifted it in his estate or some shit. Um, okay, okay. So when the Red Army finally solo carries the Eastern Front and beats the Nazis' sorry asses in the Battle of Berlin. Hell yeah. The treasure was handed over to the Soviets who continued to hold it even after the USSR succumbed to its dark shadow clone, the Russian Democratic Federation. <sighs> yeah, we all have our problems. I'm unclear on where it's housed today, or if it's even still on display, uh, but the King Priam's treasures uh, were last, I guess, like guaranteed to be in the Pushkin Museum of Moscow around 1994. So we can just go, when we go on our fun Russian tour, uh, yeah. we will... We, <laughs> where, where our numbers are skyrocketing i'm told banging banging in moscow right now heinrich never really gave up on his dream of blowing up hillsides in the mediterranean <laughs> and in the late you should really do what you love in the late 1890s he planned another expedition when he succumbed to an ear infection and died christmas day in naples jesus that's not how you want to go out no it's, it's not he was uh 68 years young and he oh. was buried in athens Interred in a mausoleum modeled after a miniature Greek temple, like the Trojan weeb he was. <laughs> he really, really, that is the equivalent. He re that that was that is perfect. I, I I have no more further commentary. He was a Trojan weeb, and it's perfect. There were more researchers who came to the Hisarlik dig site alongside Schleiman, and many more who followed in the decades after his death. One was a Dr. Seuss character named Wilhelm Dorpfeld, who. <laughs> who played a significant role in the site's stratification. The Troy dig site is believed to be comprised of nine distinct layers. Troy Zero wasn't even discovered until 2019, and it dates back to 3600 BC, while Troy Nine brings us up to the Roman rule over Troy from the years 85 to 500. Archaeology is a patient practice that washes out a lot of impatient dreamers. There's a delicacy needed in order to slowly upturn millennia of Earth that slowly buries a forgotten city. Today, the Temple of Zeus in Olympia is nothing more than scattered chunks of limestone pillars on a grassy knoll, and perhaps the impression of corners where a foundation once held the structure aloft, but stone, precious as it may be, can only tell us so much. There are delicacies hidden in the ages of dirt that bury a city, 
timber structures, pottery, bones, and etching are written in sand by comparison. That's why you so often see an authentic dig site take years to yield progress and why it's literally picked at with a fine-tooth comb rather than a bulldozer. And dynamite! Modern estimates, and even those of Dorpfeld, who worked on the site with Schleiman in his lifetime, put the Troy of Homer's stories to be around Layer 6. Schleiman had blasted his way down to Layer 2, meaning that not only was his treasure hundreds, if not a thousand years too old to be Homeric Troy, but that he'd fucking blown through entire swaths of Homeric Troy to get to it. Literally nuke, dropped a nuke into Trojan history. <laughs> this shit's not old enough. The good stuff's got to be down on the ground. Keep going. God damn it. And in case you were curious, Dorpfeld alleged that he'd actually privately spoken to Schleiman about this and that the amateur archaeologist agreed with his findings, although never publicly admitted to this egregious mistake. <laughs> he was actually on his way back to explore Layer 6 when he died. <laughs> Honestly, probably a good thing because you know he had like at least one stick of dynamite in his bag. Like he was gonna, <laughs> He was going back for good old days. <laughs> he, he like agrees yeah it's, it's probably layer six they they dig up layer six and there's like i don't know a temple door that's like a little little hard to open i got it <laughs> planting Boom. c4 on these ruins just <laughs> just imagine everyone's you just got everyone picking their loadout it's like <laughs> tiny little tiny little spoon with a little little nubbin on it and ooh, a little brush paintbrush that only has a little paintbrush that only has three bristles from a unicorn, and then him's just like breaching charges, <laughs> thermite. He's just there's just they're 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 kind of widening Schleiman's trench, as it's called, the, literally the trench that he blew <laughs> all the way to layer two, and they're like, it's weird. We kind of widened it out, and there's one half of a big wooden horse on this side, and, and one half of a big wooden horse on this side. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh, that, my friends, Christ. is Heinrich Schleiman's legacy. Have you ever have you ever had a, a dream and you like achieved the dream, but you kind of overachieved the dream and you blew up your dream in the process? <laughs> I don't know if I've if I've gone that far with it. I don't know if anyone has gone quite that far, actually. But <laughs> oh my god, did he did he really just blow shit up? <laughs> oh, he. I I cannot imagine. Having an obsession and then having the ability to destroy so much of it myself. <laughs> Just like taking, like, give me an entire section of the Library of Congress and a flamethrower. And I don't know if I can do as much long term lasting damage as this man managed to do. Oh, God. You're not wrong. You're really not wrong. Schleiman uh blasted apart so much valuable history that we will never ever get back because it just wasn't cool enough for him it's happening fast to be fair that would be how i would do archaeology i empathize with this man mm -hmm. greatly because oh yeah i would i would try it with the magic paintbrush <laughs> with three bristles from the unicorn for like at least an hour and then it would be like fuck it, get me the dynamite <laughs> I, I hear that. I'm way too much of a, like, I, I've actually said before, if I didn't do communication or, I guess, originally psychology as a major, uh, in a different life, I would have tried to have been an archaeologist or maybe an anthropologist. Uh, I, I just love this field of study so much, actually. But I went quartz mining. I went, like, crystal quartz mining in Arkansas. 
yeah. as like a little way to kill time. You know, you dig out. They, it's like, a, I don't know, a limestone quarry or some shit. And they dump all the excess dirt into this big field. And they're like, go nuts. You can. It's basically their dumpster. They're like, go nuts. Because we accidentally dig up a, a ton of quartz when we do that. So just go find what you want. Even doing that, I am so... I'm like so obsessed with optimization and efficiency that I, I quickly realized if you dig in your little hole for a couple hours and you find one crystal, that is nothing compared to waiting for the bulldozer to drive by and then just looking in its tread marks because that's where all the good shit is. I'm just pulling out softball sized quartz chunks like <laughs> fuck the principle of this. Let's just drive heavy machinery over it and I'll just I'll reap the reward. <laughs> yeah, no, I would have flunked out of archaeology school. Oh, the glories of mechanization, or yeah, you know, yeah, no. The the second we can do use drones to do archaeology, I'm back in. <laughs> Push X to you, excavate. Yes, sir. Are you talking like Mavic Mini, or are you like the modern Schleiman? who's like just bomb it, <laughs> blow that oh, no. shit up. No, 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 no. No, I want a robot dog. I want a Boston Dynamics robot that just like very gently excavate things for me, so I don't have to bother. I want to play Deep Rock Galactic and get like a notification at the end of each session. It's like, congrats, you've mined up one one pound of cobalt over in Africa. <laughs> that would be so nice. Oh, you've been listening to the Cock and Bull podcast. Uh, Nathan, is there is there anything you want to plug? Uh, I think uh, socialism is really cool and you should get on board with it. Uh, anything you want to unplug? <laughs> anything people shouldn't go check out? Uh, I know. No, I'm pretty good. I'm going to unplug <clears throat> Hypercube. Did not like that movie. That movie sucked ass. Oh, I um, didn't even know there was a movie called Hypercube. That makes sense. And uh, our our theme song is done by Driftless Pony Club uh, off the album Cholera. It is their Buffalo on the Ark. I did that completely out of order, I think. I'm, I'm kind of, we're getting back into the swing of things, folks, because we're, we're on the road to 100. You know, we got it. We're on the road. We're on the grind, as it were. And there's, there's been a while since we've knocked one of these out. And that means by the time you are hearing this, uh, there will be nothing but weekly episodes leading all the way up to sweet, sweet 100, hitting our triple digit milestone. Pull, blow off the party, party blowers. We're doing it. That also means we're probably recording this a lot earlier than you're hearing it because whoa, oh, we can't boy. be trusted. Oh, nightmare. <laughs> it, it, there could be new, like, we could be, you could be hearing this in the blight stroking nuclear fallout <laughs> universe, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> With um, your five minutes of, uh, of internet archive time. Exactly. Like we are com we are talking to aliens in another dimension at this point, more likely than we're talking to any normal human beings in America. <laughs> but Nathan, I'm optimistic. I'm we're going to get these turned around real quick. That's why folks, you can expect to see these summer of 2020. <laughs> Here we go. It's coming. Surely oh, it won't take us. We'll get them done. We'll get them done. We'll get them we'll get them we'll get them done. Yeah, 3 years later. Farewell, folks. Bye-bye. Call my name and make a wish and take a rest because it's the best thing to leave your lips. Is that your best? I'm not in